Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this seventh anniversary show. Uh, learn from the industry leaders here on the Nonprofit Coach. I just want to start off by saying thank you to our audience, uh, which has grown over the years, tens of, of tens of thousands of listeners uh, to our podcast, which of course, as the announcement just said, are always available at tedhart.com. Uh, but here today, we have our uh, wonderful producer uh, of uh, the Nonprofit Coach, Diane Peach, um, has uh, put together and scheduled several of our most popular uh, guests here on the Nonprofit Coach to join us here uh, on our anniversary show. Uh, so we're going to get right started on page two. There is no page one today because it's all about the experts here on the Nonprofit Coach seventh anniversary show. Mark Sutton is here with us on our happy birthday, big anniversary show. And Mark Sutton, we're going to actually start with you because you, all the way back seven years ago, were the very first guest on the Nonprofit Coach. So thank you for joining us again here today. Well, thank you, Ted. Great to be on the show. Um, I was thrilled to be uh, with you seven years ago, and it's exciting to be back here now. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, so much has, has, has happened in, in, in the area of, of fundraising, and uh, I mean, you've really been, been helping to lead the way, so it, it's great to be here. Well, and lots of it has changed for you, so why don't you uh, bring us up to date on uh, where Mark Sutton is now, uh, what's going on with uh, FrontStream, just a little bit of uh, background there for our listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it, it has been a big year, really, since the last anniversary show. Um, you know, I oversee the, the, the product management and marketing of what we do, and over the last year since we last spoke, there's been uh, a, a lot that's happened with, with FrontStream. And as, as some of your listeners may be aware, uh, FrontStream has grown by bringing together um, a whole collection of really impressive companies in their own right. Uh, companies like Bidding for Good, Artez, First Giving, uh, Truist, Giftworks. And, uh, and what we, what we did, and really kind of one of the promises of bringing all these together was not just to have a collection of really important fundraising tools to help with volunteering and auctions and fundraising and, and employee payroll giving, but it was to bring these together as a common platform. So uh, about a year ago, uh, we embarked on a really uh, heads-down uh, project to bring all of these together as, um, as part of uh, a single platform. And 
and what we've done is just uh, two weeks ago, we've uh, launched Panorama, which is the platform that brings all these together as part of a single product and a single platform. So you know, really what this is all about, it's bringing together uh, one place where all the tools work together. There's a, a common, a single common constituent ID that flows into the either the database or if you use a third-party database like a Razor's Edge or a Salesforce or some other database, uh, it's easy to get your data in there with that one common ID. And you know, what, we, what we see happening with this is as everything is together working as one, it's really to start layering on um, analytics and intelligence so that we can really start to understand what individuals are doing, what they're interested in, how they're engaging, and really start to help uh, the fundraisers automatically uh, provide their, their, their supporters with, 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 with what they need and, and how and when they want to engage. So it's been a busy year for us, but one that uh, you know, we're excited to be out of the gates with Panorama. Yeah, well, and, and it is exciting, and one of the things I wanted to just sort of um, have you respond to, and then we've got some, some other guests today, because it's, it's late-breaking uh, news, just, uh, just happened, um, and I think it affects so much of what we talk about on this show, because compliance matters, and when, we, when more technology companies are engaged uh, in the philanthropic space, um, sometimes speed and efficiency uh, kind of uh, are the rules of the day, and we certainly uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach are, are big fans of technology. Certainly, as, as you and our, my other guests know, that I, you know I've been on the forefront of e-philanthropy. But all the way back, one of the things that that we first did was to put together the e-philanthropy um, code of ethics. Um, and uh, and I just wanted to ask you to respond to this late-breaking class action lawsuit against PayPal and PayPal Charitable Giving Fund uh, brought together specifically, and for my listeners who may not be familiar with this, it is a PayPal, uh, it is a uh, class action lawsuit, and specifically um, the concerns that this lawsuit have is that the on PayPal Giving Fund, they are listing charities on their website that are not registered, failing to inform donors of unregistered charities who will not receive the donation that's made, failing to notify unregistered charity that donations have been made to them, and redirecting unclaimed donations from their unintended unregistered recipients to organizations of their own choosing. Um, and that's right, and that goes on and on about um, some of the, the complaints here. And, and this is not, um, I'm not asking this question to pile on to the class action lawsuit, but what it stands for in the industry in terms of the care that needs to go into proper regulatory compliance um, and vetting of, of charities. So, Mark, do you want to sort of respond to all of that? Because it is a, it's a sort of a, it's a really big deal. Yeah, no, I do. Um, you know, I think, first of all, you know, PayPal, they, I think they provide great service to the industry. But there has been quite a bit to change. And, and, you know, over the last year especially, there's been quite a bit that's changed um, in the payment processing space and some of the regulatory aspects, which you mentioned, and there, there's been a much um, tighter, um, I, I think, regulatory control put over kind of know your customer type regulations, where it it really is um, a, a, a big shift towards uh, not just being able to uh, create a fundraising page or, or or to direct funds to a charity that doesn't necessarily know that somebody is acting on their behalf. And I think that, that that's something that we've certainly seen, and we've. We've adjusted what you know the way the way we work over the past 12 months, really um, in, in direct result of that. Uh, but but it is one of those things where it is it, it's important to that if there's a technology provider that there is a direct relationship, kind of a, a contractual relationship directly That's between right. that provider and the nonprofit organization. Or, or even if it's a, or even if it's a site that is uh, picking up on maybe IRS registration to be clear to the donor what is the nature of the list and what it is not. Um, that, you know, if it is simply the IRS list, that does not mean that every charity has been contacted or has been vetted um, or that uh, a guarantee that that money can actually go to that charity. Because as we all know, uh, there's a lot of garbage in the IRS-approved list uh, in terms of charities that are not as active or do not have uh, proper governance. So there's a lot that goes into that. I'm going to bring in uh, our good friend Neil Galliford, 
Uh, Neil, um, thank you for being patient. Um, we, we got started at the, uh, the top of the show, but I wanted to bring you in because um, compliance matters uh, and regulation compliance matters. And you, you, we've got a big conference coming up next week uh, in Toronto uh, that speaks to this issue of digital and efficiency and effectiveness. And uh, so uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach Big 7th Anniversary Show, Neil Galliford. Well, hi, Ted, and uh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Great to be here. And we've got Mark Sutton with us here on the show. Hey, Mark. Hey, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Are you, am I going to see you next week at Digital Leap? Uh, the, the front stream crew will be well represented up there. I, um, I, I'm away this week, so I'm, I'm not going to be making it up there, unfortunately, myself. Well, it's going to be a great conference. we got... Uh, we got uh, we got a really terrific set of speakers, and uh, it's going to be a full day and a beautiful venue on uh, on Tuesday. It's a week today. And Neil, for the first time ever, Digital Leap has completely sold out more than a month before Digital Leap. What is going on in the digital space? I don't know. I think people are really uh, struggling to. Uh, you know, try to master the the uh, the uh, opportunities that digital per- presents to not-for-profits, and and I um, I think there aren't a lot of digital conferences that are focused directly on on nonprofit marketers or fundraisers, and and uh, we uh, we put this together starting eight years ago now, uh, thinking that people really needed uh, a place where they could. Uh, network with other uh, other marketers in this space and uh, where they could hear best practices from really good speakers. And I, I think we've done a good job over the years. And selling out a month before the the conference uh, takes place means that the market thinks that's uh, that we're doing a good job too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think um, Mark said uh, he's going to be out at the AFP conference, uh, the international conference. Will be will you be out there, Neil? Yes, I'm, I'm definitely going. It's in San Francisco, which is one of my favorite cities, but it's also a, uh, a terrific opportunity to network and uh, meet new people and uh, maybe learn a few things. So I'll definitely Absolutely. be there. Well, I'll send you an email as well and make sure that we uh, we get together while, uh, while we're out there. And, uh, and Mark and I were talking before the show. We've got few things that we want to work on, so we're going to get together uh, out there um, as well. We've got another friend that uh, I want to bring in and continue this dialogue. And uh, listen, folks, when, when you have to drop off, go ahead. I'll be able to see when that happens. But uh, just to add to the festivities here for the big seventh anniversary show, uh, Jen Bokoff is here. Jen, welcome back here uh, from the Foundation Center. Uh, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Hey, Ted. Thanks, as always, for having me, and a uh, happy anniversary show. Yeah, so we're just adding to the the party here. Um, So uh, bring us up to date. And then, Neil, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about uh, the details of uh, Digital Leap and the work that you folks are doing up in uh, Toronto, which is uh, growing big. But, but Jen, lots has changed for you and the Foundation Center in the last year. Uh, So bring us up to date on what's happening with you. Well, the last year certainly has had a lot going on. We're we're continuing to do some really neat research projects um, that we've been calling landscapes, which is where we look at an issue in philanthropy from all different types of data. So who's funding what and where, and case studies surrounding what foundations are doing and why, and then also looking at published literature. So a new one, actually, that I think I hinted at on the show last time but wasn't live yet is called fundingtheocean.org, and it's all about ocean conservation. So I, for one, have learned a ton about animals that I didn't even know existed, like the vaquita. So I've learned all about how foundations are going beyond their role of just grant-making by giving money and actually becoming advocates and conveners and policy implementers to actually make a dent in saving animals and oceans. So that's that's one really exciting thing. I could go on and on, but I know we have other people here as well. So let well, me know I what you're do curious want you to, to hear more about. I, I do want you to go on and on about a couple of things that I think are really interesting uh, to our uh, our listeners today, and that is, you know, again, from a very practical point of view, which is which is what the nonprofit coaches is, is all about. 
Um, you folks at the Foundation Center are doing a really good job of electronically, digitally tracking uh, where gifts are going, what they're funding, and who's giving. Um, talk to us a little bit about that project and how that can be, become very practical for our charity listeners today. Sure. So with every project we do, like you said, um, we're tracking the data behind the funding. So we're not just looking at how much money is going to a certain issue, but specifically how a given foundation is putting money toward different organizations. Um, and so, right, what does that mean for nonprofit organizations who ultimately all have missions that need to be funded? So what's exciting to me about this research, among other things, is that nonprofit organizations can better see who the funders are funding in spaces that they also are concerned about and find more accurate ways to target their proposals based on funding that funders are already providing and work that they're already doing. And I think, especially speaking with my um, previous life funder hat on, I think one of my biggest pet peeves was when nonprofit organizations would apply for funding without knowing what other organizations were working on the same issue that they were working on. And so when we put out research like this, it also allows nonprofits to know who other organizations are that might be aligned in mission, maybe with different approach, but still aligned with mission, so that they can look for collaboration opportunities and also be able to better articulate what they're doing differently from other organizations. Because when they're not aware of what else is going on, there's no way we're being as effective as we could be. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're doing everything just on your own, chances are you are reinventing the wheel. Uh, and one of yep. the benefits of being part of a nonprofit community, and I think we all can speak to this, it's certainly an issue, uh, Neil, for the success of the Digital Leap, um, is the ability to reach out to colleagues, to learn from colleagues, both from their successes and their failures. Um, so let me go back to, uh, uh, to Neil. Uh, Neil, it seems to me that that's one of the reasons why Digital Leap is so incredibly successful, um, is this opportunity for people who might feel like they're in silos, might even feel kind of alone in their own organization because of the digital nature of their work, are able to come, to pe come together um, and not only listen and learn from experts, but also to be part of a community of people who care about and are growing in their expertise in the digital space. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, we see one of our objectives is bringing together the marketing folks and the fundraisers at organizations because the silos extend even to that level. And often they, they don't talk to each other well, they don't always play well together and so on. So we like to bring them both, both types of marketers into the room and have them uh, be exposed to um, good ideas across the spectrum from marketing all mm -hmm. the way to the basic fundraising. Um, and over the years, we've also changed a little bit our approach in terms of uh, whether we're providing tactical information that can be applied the next day, which we definitely do. But we also bring uh, really high-level speakers who are talking at a very strategic level about what's happening in the world today um, and how that might affect not-for-profits. So um, we get a wide range of people coming, people who are very senior, people who are, are junior, and, and uh, so it's a, it's a nice melange of, of folks, and uh, they're all learning from each other. That's great. Well, we have another expert here on learning from each other. Uh, Eva Aldrich uh, is here with us. And uh, Eva, thank you for uh, joining us again here uh, from CFRE International. Uh, bring us uh, into this discussion and CFRE's role in helping us learn from each other, learning from standards, and advancing the profession. Happy to do so, Ted. But before I do that, happy anniversary. So great milestone. Well, thank you. Thank You're you for welcome. joining the party. We have a, a big party here. I think you uh, heard we have uh, uh, Mark Sutton here from FrontStream. We've got Neil Gallifer joining us uh, from Stephen Thomas up in Toronto talking about the uh, the huge sold-out Digital Leap Conference next week. Uh, and Jen Bokoff is here uh, with us from the Foundation Center. So uh, it's, it's all you, Eva. Bring, uh, welcome to the party. Well, this is 
this is a great group to be a part of, and, and I'm honored to be here. Um, going to your question, Ted, about you know, how CFRE contributes, I think, to the general conversation about um, standards and what we need to do in the profession, one of the things that, that we certainly see with, with our international board and our international group of certificates is that no matter where you are in the world, um, you know, issues such as the ones that have been talked about earlier in today's show are coming up. They may be coming up in, in different ways and different times, but fundraising really is a global profession. I think there used to be this, the sort of tendency to think that fundraising was executed extremely differently in different locations, but as the world becomes more globalized, so is the fundraising profession. And so CFRE is here to help provide you know, a global set of baseline standards so that way uh, there is a clear sense of what constitutes best practices in ethical fundraising. And I think we all agree, uh, you know, the nonprofit sector is based on trust. If people don't trust nonprofits, they're not going to give and not going to give generously. So really having that strong ethical basis for all fundraising and having the kind of spirited discussions about, well, as technology develops so rapidly, what do we do to make certain that on the one hand, Fund or charities can raise funds efficiently using the new technology, but on the other hand, we have to protect donors, honor donors, make certain that that relationship stays strong. Right. Well, and and um, one of the um, uh, the issues that we spoke of earlier, I think maybe you you heard it, um, a little bit about this uh, this issue about compliance, uh, regulatory compliance. Um, do you want to bring that into the sort of the CFRE discussion? Because of course there's fundraising, but it has to be compliant with regulations. It does, and one of the things that each and every CFRE pledges as part of the application process is that they are knowledgeable of and abide by the regulations and laws governing fundraising in the geographic area when they practice, where they practice. A CFRE is a global exam. We we have one exam worldwide, and clearly, you know that exam is not going to be able to cover regulations and laws in each area. And really, it shouldn't when you consider how rapidly laws can change. I think anyone who's been following the situation with fundraising regulation in the U.K. Uh, can see just over the course of one year how rapidly uh, regulations have changed, uh, new entities come in to regulate, other entities fall out. Um, so that really that's one place where, where CFRE really depends on our close relationships with our um, 22 participating organizations around the globe, um, organizations like AFP, in North America, the Institute of Fundraising in Australia, the Institute of Fundraising in New Zealand, um, the European Fundraising Association. We we rely on those partners to really focus, and they do a great job of it, on educating their members about local regulations and laws. And also, they are advocates for making certain that you know as new regulations and laws come into place that affect fundraising. The fundraiser's voice is also at the table. So I think That's we've right. got a That's really right. dynamic situation where we can do what we do best, and that is really you know, making certain that fundraising professionals are grounded in ethical best practices while also acknowledging you know, our partners are, are best at being really on the ground when it comes to working with national and local governments in terms of what needs to happen to make certain that the nonprofit sector stays strong, even while you know individuals you know, make certain that privacy and other rights are protected as part of the whole changing technology that goes into fundraising yeah. and serving the nonprofit and, and, sector. Right, and Eva, I I I think uh, we scarcely have been, had such a fluid state of regulatory change around the world than we have right now. Um, so I think, you know, the, the issue of regulation and compliance, um, you know, while it's always been an issue, is probably more uh, urgent now than it has been in that you do have to stay apprised of changes uh, around the world, particularly if you're uh, involved in the international space. But, you know, it's entirely possible if you're monitoring what's happening up on Capitol Hill 
that we could see changes here in the U.S. as well, and they could be uh, rather dramatic and sweeping changes depending on what mm -hmm. makes its way uh, through, uh, through Congress. Um, Jen Bokoff, you're still here with us. Do you want to weigh in on this, this issue of sort of the, the changing marketplace, if you will, and, uh, and compliance as it relates to what you're tracking and what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, one angle that I think is interesting, and forgive me, I, when I called in, I hadn't heard the previous discussion, so stop me if we've been okay. here already. But, um, you know, one thing I've been thinking about with compliance is how it relates to advocacy and what foundations are open to and also afraid of. Um, I've recently done a lot of research with um, how funders are actually funding advocacy through collaboratives and how there's been a real uptick in that. And like 10 years ago, they weren't even talking about funding advocacy, let alone doing it collaboratively. And there's much more of an appetite for it now. But one of the biggest fears we heard across interviews with dozens of leaders who have been in this field for a long time is a fear around crossing lines uh, and not knowing fully what the rules and regulations are and being afraid of change in those rules and regulations. So it's a little different take on compliance, but it's one that I've been tuned into because it affects the way that grant makers can actually strategize and, and shift the way that they're making investments in communities beyond kind of typical grant making strategies. And, and staying on top of that, what the topic that we had uh, put on the top of the, the, uh, the hour here um, was sort of um, this, this news of the class action lawsuit against PayPal, um, specifically for issues of compliance and notification um, of uh, listing charities that are not registered, um, that uh, not informing donors that money to those non-registered charities are not actually going to make it to those charities, uh, failing to uh, unregistered charities, um, and uh, re uh, redirecting claimed donations from intended unregistered recipients to other organizations without notice. Um, and, and, this, and the discussion was very clearly not piling on to PayPal, uh, but taking a step back and saying the issue of compliance and transparency, uh, particularly as we see more technology, which I'm a big fan of and, and always have been, and you know, in founding the eFlansby Foundation, um, you know, one of the first things that we did was to create the eFlansby Code of Ethics. Um, and transparency is a big part of that. So um, that, that sort of kicked mm -hmm. off some of the, uh, the early discussion uh, that we had here. I want to bring Neil Galliford back mm -hmm. into this because, um, Neil, you're um, not only an expert uh, uh, in, uh, in Canada where you're, you're headquartered, uh, but increasingly your firm is becoming a big voice in the United States as well. So do you want to sort of share your thoughts on transparency and compliance? Yeah, it's a it's a tough time uh, to be a fundraiser in the UK right now, and and uh, and uh, what happens when uh, people take out after us? Our, our sector is is can be quite brutal, and it was brutal in the UK last year, and it's it's very difficult to raise money there now because of all the restrictions that were put on. So I think we have to be incredibly vigilant uh and make sure that we're transparent and that we're we're make we're getting out ahead of the issue so that uh so that we don't uh, have something happen that uh makes us a target um we're not always as good about speaking up for ourselves i think you know we kind of try to keep our heads down instead of actually being out there in the market being proactive explaining how we work explaining why there's cost explaining explaining uh what we can and cannot do and uh and uh i think uh eva's point about the the you know the grounding in ethics we we need to be um uh, uh talking about that all the time and we need to talk loudly about it not just kind of duck behind cover and and uh hope that nobody criticizes us that's right i'm um, going back to your your comments on that eva um certainly code of ethics signing on to a code of ethics adhering to a code of ethics, but what about enforcement of a code of ethics? Uh, where does that fit in the overall discussion? And you know, is, is I think Neil's putting on the table. You know, certainly the structures are there, but are we transparent enough about, I guess, sort of self-regulating 
um, in in uh, trying to, I, I think, as sort of a defense to government-imposed uh, uh, enforcement. Right. I, I think we are. In fact, that's the reason why the Certified Fundraising Executive Credential was formed back in, in the early 1980s, was as you know, a means to have the profession self-regulate before government started imposing um, on what could and could not be done with fundraising. And it's actually proven to be, I think, a, a strong mechanism. We, we do have enforcement procedures for those who violate principles, um, as do our various fundraising associations like AFP. Um, you know, I think one of the, the things that's – well, and one of the reasons I really enjoy uh, working in the fundraising profession, being with CFRE, is that I think on the whole, you know, 99% of the people out there raising funds for organizations want to do the right thing. Um, but with that, and again, I do not know the details of the PayPal situation at all. But I, I think yeah, and, and there's we're not piling on there, there is. Oh no, no. But I think there, I think there could very well be a situation where here you've got, you know, individuals that want to do a good thing, but because they are not knowledgeable fundraisers and are not acquainted with fundraising ethics. Perhaps they did not know how to implement it appropriately. Yeah, um, right, exactly. I, and I think on smaller on smaller scales, that can happen with, with any organization, which is all the more reason why we need to have certification with certified fundraising executive. We need to have a strong cadre of fundraisers who are very well acquainted with what is right and what is not right, or more the point, what is best practice and what is less good practice, because it's mm -hmm. only in that way when we are speaking and working from a base of knowledge, as opposed to just, you know, going with a gut reaction to what we think is a good idea, that we actually show that fundraising is a true profession, and and mm -hmm. as an emerging profession, I think we all have to be diligent to let people know that that as fundraisers. We are not simply people with good social skills because you know that that perception is still out there. That we actually right. have art, we have science, and we have, you know, a body of of knowledge emerging as it may be at sometimes that is based mm -hmm. in ethical best practices, and that's what we do, and that's what we follow. That's right. That's right. Um, back to you, uh, Neil Galford, um, related to your work, which is increasingly drawing you across border. Um, what are you seeing both in Canada and the United States? You shared a little bit of uh, sort of uh, where things have gotten in the UK with, uh, I think, particularly, you know, very uh, onerous um, procedures in place for Know Your Customer, uh, which really can slow down and or scare donors away. Um, what are some of the trends that, that you're seeing that our listeners should be aware of um, in Canada and the U.S.? Well, it's interesting because the regime in Canada is basically at the federal level, at the at the government and and uh, Ottawa and through the tax uh, through the tax people, and so we have a, a pretty coherent uh, set of rules across the country. I, what I noticed in the U.S. and we we are working with a large uh, U.S. Uh, health charity right now, and uh, what I noticed there is that there are all the state regulations that are are out there, and they're they are changing all the time, and and uh, I'm I'm amazed at how difficult it is to stay on top of that. Not just for us as a fundraising consultant, but for our clients as well. Anybody that wants to raise money uh, has to register in in the, the majority of the states. So it's it's easy to make a mistake. I think it's easy to you know maybe be late with a filing, and all of a sudden you're not entitled to fundraise in a province in a state. Um, so I think it's really a challenge right now, and. What worries me, though, is that, uh, you know, um, we're an easy target because because uh, we're the good guys who are trying to, do, trying to do good in the world. And anybody that uh, departs from that, um, you know, brings us into, into the spot spotlight. And we're not always good at, uh, at speaking up for ourselves, as I said. I wanted to mention to Eva that uh, our Digital League Conference on Tuesday is uh, – is a, a CFRA a CFRE certified educational opportunity. So um, we're we're right there trying to educate our uh, our audiences to be better fundraisers and marketers in this space. 
That's right. That's right. That's what uh, we need. Exactly. Jen, Jen Bokoff, bring, bring in the foundation um, view on this. So um, these issues of compliance and transparency, how is that affecting the foundation world? Yeah, so I was actually smiling and nodding with every word that Eva was sharing about fundraisers and thinking, wow, this said could really be said for grant makers right now, where it's not like it's a new profession, so to speak, but philanthropy looked a lot different 100 years ago or even 50 years ago than it does now. And we're not trained to become grant makers. I was a grant maker when I was 25 years old with next to no training, but in charge of several million dollars to give away. And that's actually a little scary. Uh, at the same time, I had a set of ethics behind me. And you're also not always going to make the right decisions as a new grant maker. And so it really highlighted to me the need for training and potentially certification in this space as well. Um, and for me, that's actually part of what drives my work at Foundation Center and our work overall, which is how can we build knowledge in a field where learning is so based on experience and where every foundation's experience is its own special snowflake, its own unique experience. So how do we build a culture of learning across grant makers and across the field of philanthropy? Um, and I think, you know, I really love that that undergirds a lot of our work, but it's also a huge challenge because what I've noticed is that while a lot of staff at foundations have all the good intent to continue learning and building their skill set so that they can make ethical, smart decisions and, and then go a step beyond that to, from just making those good decisions to actually being transparent about them. The challenge is that there never seems to be enough time for that learning and then for that sharing. So I think that's a lot of what drives my work with GrantCraft in particular and also drives our Glass Pockets initiative, which is all about transparency and how foundations are using transparent practices across their organizations. And how, and how does that get communicated um, in, in terms of um, compliance to your standards, but also you know, where transparency fits? where transparency fits like in the scheme of philanthropy or in the public domain? Because right. what's kind well, of interesting I think, is I, they I, feel like two different things. Yeah, it, I think they are two different things. So, so take it in the direction that you think is most helpful to our <laughs> listeners. Sure. I mean, one, I think that the recent election, not to bring politics into it, but I think it actually shined a spotlight on foundations, grant-making foundations that hasn't necessarily been in the public domain for a little while in the sense that both of the two major candidates had foundations that were scrutinized at some point during the campaign process. And to me, that's actually the perfect lens for talking about why philanthropy, why philanthropy has to be transparent and has to be intentionally transparent because otherwise the public will rightfully so, journalistically look for a story, one that maybe is or isn't there. But when foundations don't take control over knowing and refining their own practices to be ethical and then sharing those, you don't actually know what's happening behind closed doors. And it actually ties to Foundation Center founding story, which is that in the 1950s, during the McCarthy era hearings, a lot of the major foundations, um, the chairs of their boards were being brought in for questioning because the public, again, didn't know where the money was going or how. And so we were actually founded by foundations back in the 50s that recognized that they needed to have a platform for sharing more of the data of what they were funding more broadly with the public because otherwise nobody knew what was happening. And that was, that was the whole idea behind glass pockets, right? Like how can we actually right. see what's happening behind closed doors? Mm -hmm. And, and of course, transparency, it continues to be an issue with some, uh, you know, some uh, charitable organizations uh, in terms of being able to see through to the donors. I mean, certainly where the money goes and how the money is, is spent is one, uh, is, is one issue. 
Um, so, uh, Eva, um, how is this affecting your ability to sort of stay on top of these issues and bring them full circle to those who currently have CFRE, but those that are thinking about CFRE? Well, again, I think it goes back to to something I mentioned earlier. Just we really focus on the the baseline best pra- practices in ethical fundraising, and re- really work with our partners who keep abreast of the latest issues in terms of transparency. Because again, there are different issues, different parts of the world. Data protection, particularly in Europe, uh, has been at the forefront for some time. We're just now seeing issues, I think, with, with on the level of, or rather with data protection, that Europeans have been dealing with for a while. So you know, what we do with the certification is make certain that Again, the base principles, the ethical principles of transparency and accountability, you know, undergird absolutely everything with the certification. Then, as times change and there are different tools and techniques and different regulations, that's where we can really work with, with partners then, uh, with our participating organizations, to make certain that while our certificates know the baseline of, of what needs to happen in terms of ethics and transparency. With new tools, new regulations, the, the other partners say, all right, but within this particular new context, these are the considerations that you have to keep in mind. That's right. That's right. Um, and and in, in looking at um, uh, those issues, certainly that's something that we deal with a lot here um, at uh, uh, CAF America and our international grant making, certainly our grant making into Europe. Um, is because of the different uh, privacy regime and where there used to be um, a, an agreement, uh, safe harbors that have been established uh, between the United States and uh, the European Union. Those were thrown out uh, in court, I, I, I believe that was September or October of 2015, um, and, uh, and then a new regime was put in place uh, but unfortunately, a new regime um, between the U.S. and, and the EU that um, specifically does not apply to nonprofits um, and is, is only for corporations. Um, and so, for instance, here, you know, we, we have to have every charity that we grant to uh, fill out a 10-page form uh, to give permission for us to ask even the simplest questions about their board of directors and to be able to properly vet uh, that charity because there is uh, no regime in place that allows for the collection of that data without uh, without permission essentially so mm-hmm. being being aware of those those issues around the world um, certainly is um, a, a very very big issue mm-hmm. and that's another place where I think you know with CFRE particularly I mean just just looking at my own sort of bailiwick here. Uh, why why the recertification requirement is so important uh, we all, you know we all need to keep learning as was said earlier so uh, and recertification guarantees that people have the opportunity and and really take advantage of the opportunity to keep learning by whatever means whether that's going to professional conferences uh, engaging in in you know teaching and research uh, about what's going on in the profession I think you know we all know we need to do that sort of thing uh, but we can all usually use a little push as well and that is another reason I think certification uh, is really important in, a, in addition to whatever educational or certificate programs people may want to participate in because recertification really has built into it the demand that that you stay informed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but does that become more of a challenge for you or are you finding sort of the the uh, ability to kind of sell um, uh, CFRE to professionals is easier now because of increased regulation, uh, because of uh, increased need for professionalism and transparency and and uh, impact and all these other issues that I think can kind of sound like buzz uh, phrases, but um, really add up to the need for uh, some sort of professional standards. Mm-hmm. I think that's certainly a part of it. Uh, I think also, too, another thing that's that's changed uh, within the past, uh, not just five years or seven years, but but uh, last decade or so, is just the the way in which knowledge has become unlocked. 
Um, I think mm-hmm. people, you know, in the past were more reliant on educational programs for learning. Now they learn from everything. They learn from the nonprofit coach. They learn from online webinars. Um, you know, really, the the presence of of the internet has just unlocked knowledge. Uh, and because of that, because there are so many different ways to learn, I think there's even more interest in individuals to have an, an independent third party certification that that really validates the knowledge that they have acquired in best practices and ethical fundraising, no matter how they've learned it. Um, just because there is no longer sort of a, a, a university or other educational lock on where you can find um, the information you need to uh, proceed ethically in your profession. Mm. Um, do you, but again, do you find it easier to kind of not, I hate to call it make the sale, but um, to make the case um, and, and our CFREs sort of uh, viewed differently in the marketplace now than they were even just a few years ago uh, because of all of these these topics that you know are so vitally important to uh, not only the, the ability to fundraise for an organization um, mm-hmm. but um, the ability to survive in a, an increasingly complex and transparent uh, world. I think it certainly does add to the urgency, and and certainly over the last five years, we've we've seen a, a really significant growth in the number of CFREs. Uh, I think five years ago when I started here, we had about 5,200 CFREs worldwide. Now we've got over 6,000. Uh, we did have CFREs in about 12 countries. Now we have them in 23 countries. Uh, wow. And I think, too, with those numbers, it's it's particularly worth noting that, that this growth is happening at the same time when many associations are having difficulty um, keeping up their membership numbers just because of the aging out of baby boomers and also, as we've heard, that you know younger generations are not necessarily the joiners um, that their parents mm-hmm. were. So but there are a number of drivers, joining, uh, but, but it's, it's definitely... This is not like a social gathering. Um, I mean, this is really an opportunity to stand out in your profession um, that's Absolutely. only becoming more complex. It's not It's not getting easier. And, and oftentimes I think that for maybe a lot of other associations, you know, technology is not necessarily their friend because it takes the place for things that maybe an average association in the past would kind of provide to its members. Um, but for CFRE, um, you know, the, this is a very complex world, and where where do you go to be in association with others who are equally skilled? Exactly, Ted. Uh, and and I think another thing, going to, to one of the themes that we've had in our discussion today, is with this rapidly shaping landscape for the nonprofit sector, you know, it becomes even more important for fundraisers to have and be able to demonstrate a strong ethical base, uh, because when yeah. when borders and seas are, are you know metaphorically rapidly shifting, what you fall back on to figure out how to navigate in the gray area is that solid base and knowledge of ethics, transparency, and accountability. So even when things right. are in flux, you've still got that as a north star. Right, and I think right. that's that's so, one of the key things that, C, that having CFRE certification offers to people, and, and I think they know and appreciate that. Makes you stand out, exactly. I think making the case mm-hmm. for that. But, but what are the more controversial topics as you're you're changing education, staying abreast of uh, an ever changing world? Um, are there flashpoints within the CFRE world that 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 do show stresses of change? You know, every five years we do the job, uh, a job analysis, which is an international survey of fundraisers to find out what tasks they perform, how often they perform them, you know, how important the tasks are to fundraising success, and what knowledge do they use to perform those tasks. And the results of this piece of research are what form the basis for CFRE's test content outline. You know, we, we have been doing this... Uh, uh, sort of forever right now, and we have several years or, or several decades worth, excuse me, of these reports. And one of the interesting things is that, um, you know, despite what we see in the short term as, you know, a, a 
a sort of an explosive environment sometimes with a lot of rapid change. On the whole, fundraising does tend to be more of an evolution rather than a revolution. Um, mm -hmm. While there certainly are changes that happen specifically with technology, a lot of the, the key aspects of relationship build, building, securing the gift, uh, you know, ethics and accountability, leadership and management, those remain relatively stable over time. And I think that right. that is a, something that, on the one hand, is reassuring. Um, on the other hand, you know, it, it also allows us to be very confident in what we are doing to really give fundraisers a sound basis of knowledge, uh, even while you know making certain that that we do acknowledge there is change and sometimes it is very rapid. But core principles, for the most part, uh, tend to remain fairly stable. Um, in fact, I think the places that we've talked about today where we're seeing rapid shifts, you know, are in the technology, which really, you know, if, if you want to be reductionist, technology in terms of fundraising, it's, it, it provides new tools for building relationships. That's right. Um, that's right. So but again, and, and, it and new forms. Needs to be used. And then the regulations right. and laws which are in the purview of government. Right. But And, and that's, that's an important point. And I think, you know, maybe summarizing some of that discussion, um, is you know it's not it cannot be at the, the the cost of cutting corners on compliance and transparency regulations and laws, uh, and we have uh, an expert Absolutely. in all things fundraising, ethical, <laughs> and uh, 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 with us here joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, welcome to the big seventh anniversary show, Kay Sprinkle Grace, a longstanding friend here of the Nonprofit Coach, uh, and Kay, welcome. We have uh, Eva Aldrich. Uh, from CFRE International with us. Okay. Hi, Eva. Hi, Kay. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So, um, happy anniversary, Ted. God, you just Thank you. Here we making, are seven years later. Who would Making have great waves. Yes, you keep making great waves in our profession, and uh, it's marvelous. You've been a trendsetter, a pace setter, and it's uh, terrific. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's easy when we have such great guests, and that's it's easy for me to say that and make it sound like I'm just, uh, you know, blowing smoke. Um, but Kay, you have consistently been one of the uh, biggest getters for uh, listeners of your podcast. Anytime that you're here on the Nonprofit Coach, and, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring someone in quickly here on the show. I'm gonna see if she's available. Our producer, Diane Peach, I think is here with us. Diane. Hello. Diane, are you here with us? Yeah. So I am. Diane, I just wanted I just wanted you to uh to share since we've got Kay Sprinkle Grace here with us, um, a decision that, that was made a few years ago in terms of Kay's involvement with the show because she is so incredibly popular. Do you want to share what that is? <laughs> well, Kay is our uh our guest that comes on the show every Christmas. So we can't have our Christmas show, our last show before our winter hiatus. Without Kay. <laughs> Kay, there is nobody else on the nonprofit coach who has a standing registration <laughs> for a show going on into the future than you. Well, <laughs> I, you. I, yeah, I love that slot, and I love working with Diane and with you. And I love it because it gives me um, a time to reflect. Uh, at the end of a year, and of course that being such a busy time for us in right. the philanthropic world, and trying to close on on generosity and make it you know part of the fabric of our society, and it always gives me an opportunity to step back from the frenzy, if you will, and say what what is the meaning that we extract from this incredible work that we do in our sector solving community issues, enriching communities, advancing social change. And so I really I love the opportunity, and I'll do it as long as I can. Well, and we appreciate that. And I, I think one of the, the things that our listeners really look forward to in that holiday show that Diane uh, puts together with you each year um, is that, that look into the next year, the ability to reflect on planning uh, for the next year, and and one of the things that that you do so well for us, and and uh, it's it's so wonderful to have here at the end of the show, uh, both Eva and uh, Kay with us, um, because the two of you really sort of balance 
um, you know, this issue of, you know, what's worked and what the standards are, but also staying abreast of what is changing and what the future mm-hmm. is going to look like. Um, so, Kay, um, you're here. Um, uh, help us wrap up the show. We've just got five minutes left. Um, sure. Looking forward to, to the eighth anniversary show a year from now. What do you see between now and then? I see that we are going to have uh, problems in our communities that cannot be solved by philanthropy alone. I see us moving into tremendously effective partnerships with um, other, with local government, with B Corps, with impact investors. I think the move that the Ford Foundation has just made uh, with the $1 billion they're going to be putting into impact investing, I think that what we are going to see as the, the issues in our communities sharpen and the divide um, sharpens in the income inequality and all of that as it has an impact on education, I think what we are going to see, I'm optimistic that we are going to see in communities a desire to work together to solve problems, and my only concern is that there are some, I'm sad to say, some nonprofits that are fairly, um, I think, concerned about that, and they don't quite know how to do it, and so they, in fact, are circling the wagons instead of leading the charge. I feel that what we offer to the resolution of these issues is our long history of dealing with issues in a way that is ethical, that has a great deal of integrity, that is community-focused. I've been working a great deal in design theory as it applies to philanthropy, and we're going to be doing a big program at the AFP International Conference on that. And it puts the human at the center. And I am not as extreme, perhaps, as my friends at the Stanford uh, Social Innovation uh, Review, but I will say that I think sometimes our organizations get in the way of the mission because we're more focused on our organization and what's happening with it than we are with what is happening out in the community. It gets back to, Ted, something you've heard me say over and over, that we simply have to replace our mirrors with windows. And we have to look out there. So I see uh, coming up, I think we're seeing a lot of community engagement among people who are uh, becoming politically aware. Uh, I think that people are concerned about the issues that they are confronting, and I think that they are mobilizing what I would desire and hope for in the coming year is that our nonprofits would take a leadership role in coalescing that energy and saying, let's do something about education, let's do something about health care in our communities because we know our communities and we can work together. So that is That's both right. my, my hope as well as my concern as well as what I'm working very hard to do. Yeah, well, I'm very pleased to hear you put that on the table. I will also be speaking at the AFP conference. Uh, I'll actually be speaking, I believe, on uh, May 2nd on the topic of the future fundraising is already here. Stop fundraising and start inspiring. Uh, mm-hmm. Kay, you and I have had that discussion here on this. Uh, right. And part of that, one of the concepts that I will be sharing, I think, aligns very closely with what you'll be speaking about, and that's what I call me philanthropy. Um, and 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 how nonprofits have to understand, uh, as you said, you know, uh, don't have rearview mirrors. Uh, you have have windows. Um, but it's also about inviting people in and meaning it. And that social media Absolutely. is not a tool for fundraising, um, but is uh, part of an ecosystem that includes donors. And are you actually part of that ecosystem, or are you trying to use that ecosystem? That's right. Um, and those who are those who are in it know the difference and see the difference. Um, yeah, and and, and the same day that you're doing that, yeah, the same day you're doing that, I'm doing a session on getting young professionals on to your board, and it's yeah. of course a quick uh, generational scan. But more than that, in the strategy session, it's a reinforcement of what you just said. It says you've got to sit down and listen in your communities. Right. You've got to figure right. out what's going on. And uh, so I, you know, I remain excited about our sector, Ted. I, I do. I remain excited about our sector, and I, I do feel that we can, uh, you know, keep advancing 
uh, the solutions to tremendous needs in our communities. And But we've just got to keep our eye on the prize, as they say. And that yeah. prize is communities that work together and come together. And I think that uh, that's my aspiration. You got it. Well, um, we are uh, out of time, and I want to thank uh, Eva uh, Aldrich for staying with us for the, the balance of the show. Kay Sprinkle Grace for wrapping us up and all of our guests here on the Nonprofit Coach. Big seventh anniversary show. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Ted. Remember, Bye-bye. our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.